I'm Chase, and you're listening to The Angry Millennial, and I don't know how I got here. I don't know why I'm in this room or what they just fed me, but you're listening to The Angry Millennial. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to The Angry Millennial Podcast with your host, Jose Rosado, and co-host, Stevie Chris, where we talk to creatives and entrepreneurs from all walks of life and passions about the creative lifestyle, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Be sure to check out our site, theangrymillennialshow.com, and sign up for our newsletter to be eligible for prizes and giveaways, as well as stay up to date with new shows and upcoming guests. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, this episode is brought to you by Borrow Lenses. Bring your vision to life with the gear you want when you need it. Don't deplete your resources by investing in gear you may only need once in a while. Instead, grow your business by using high-end gear before you can afford to own it. I know for me, for many years starting out, this is how I got the shots I needed with the glass I couldn't afford at the time. And plus, it's great for trying before you buy. With thousands of rental lenses, cameras, lighting, and all the tools to trade for hobbyists and pros alike. Get to use specialty gear such as underwater cameras or telephoto lenses for that once-in-a-lifetime adventure without a huge investment. You can choose the gear you want, tell them when you want it and for how long, and they'll ship the gear directly to you. You can book far in advance and secure all the gear you'll need. Visit borrowlenses.com and enter AM10 to redeem your exclusive 10% Angry Millennial discount. What's going on, AM Nation, and welcome to the Angry Millennial Show, where we chat with creatives and entrepreneurs about the creative lifestyle, the good, the bad, the ugly. Today, we have president and founder of Skip Cohen University, photographer and photo industry journeyman, Skip Cohen. Skip, thanks for coming out today. Oh, that's such a lofty title. <laughs> I mean, we'll get into it because to me, it's it's accurate. Um, but first off, I have to say, while I was at WPPI, you were one of the funniest people I met and spoke to while I was there. And, and it was, it was definitely a memorable kind of interaction, which I always try to be as well. Um, so as many people probably don't, as some people probably don't know with that said, uh, you've previously run WPPI. Uh, so it was kind of funny meeting you there. Now tell me a bit about what, that show has been about for you both as someone who's run it and as someone who's been in the industry yourself? Well, I, I was president of, of Rangefinder Publishing, which mm -hmm. owns WPPI and Rangefinder Magazine. And then somewhere in there, we also launched After Capture, which sadly the new owners um, closed a few mm -hmm. years ago, I think. Uh, but being the past president of WPPI and running it uh, is... Well, I used to refer to it as the most fun I didn't want to do for another year. <laughs> it's out, it's outrageously it's it's hectic. I mean, oh, I would yeah. get I yeah. would get calls. I remember getting a call in my room at the hotel once at the MGM. No, maybe this was Bally's back mm. then. And I had a woman screaming cuz she didn't like her pillows. Oh hey, God. I you know, I mean, you, you do your best to put together a good convention and then right. and then you're taken down by somebody that wanted uh down versus foam and like, right. guys, I can't help. I had another yeah. one at MGM where the woman was furious because she wanted to take an early bird class and she likes the health club. And the health club didn't open till eight o'clock. 
I mean, it's like, come on, people. people Work just, out people your own love, damn problems. Yeah, people just love to complain. I yeah. can't help you on that. But what's yeah. funny now is I left in 2009, mm -hmm. and my wife Sheila and I were walking the show. It happens every year. I've been gone from Hasselblad since 1999, mm -hmm. and people will still come up and say, you know, I want to talk to you about this program I just went to, and I'll say, look, you know, look in this, look in my eyes. Do, do you see a glimmer of hope <laughs> that, that I can do anything? Because I've right. been gone for seven years. Then you, right. and then on Hasselblad, they'll say, Skip, I want to talk to you. You know what lens they really should make, guys? I, I'm just amazed at where these people have been. It's like right. they've been locked up in, in <laughs> solitary confinement, and they just That's got out. Funny. They just got out of prison, and. Right. They don't know that the world yeah. has changed, yeah. or you know, it's the I guess it's what I used to call the Rip Van Winkle syndrome, where yep. they've just you know they've been asleep at the wheel. So yeah, going to WPPI. First of all, I love going to every convention. Yeah, and and if I was funny on the day you caught me, that was great because yeah. I have <laughs> moments where it's just not funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I have imagine. a good time. Yeah, and you were having a good time too. Yeah, of course. And I think I think one of the things that if humor comes out, whether it's at an appropriate time or inappropriate time, it's usually a function with me that I'm having a good time. Right. I love the networking experience. Yeah. I think a show, whether it's WPPI or Imaging USA or Shutterfest that I just got back from last week, it's, it is all about the networking. Mm -hmm. It is about, yes, you go there to learn. Yes, you go to take workshops. Yes, you go to see what, what new products all the vendors have. But there's a huge piece that has to do with building your network, mm -hmm. yeah, and it's relationship building. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you if you read Scott Stratton's book called Unmarketing. No, no uh, I go go pick it up, or okay. after the podcast, um, yeah, sure. if you give me an address, I'll send you my copy. It's yeah. one of those read it on an airplane kind of books. It's right. it's not outrageously lengthy, but mm -hmm. Stratton says. Start engaging, stop marketing and start engaging because yeah. your relationship building is your greatest tool. So I love WPPI for the networking. Mm -hmm. When I was president at WPPI, I love the show and look forward to it every year. But like I said, the most fun that I wouldn't want to do again for another year because yeah. we'd come off of this thing exhausted. Oh, yeah. Like a hit by a bus. So, like I, I was, me and Jess, it was actually my first year ever going to that one. And I had, I'm a, I'm a portrait photographer. So I've had friends for years who would go and I'd see them have a great time. And I'd be like, that's really cool. But as personable as I am, I don't really do well with huge crowds. So I just, I just kind of put it off and you nailed it. I mean, when we went to PPE last year uh, in New York, where we launched the show and the response we got from there and the people we met, I knew that this year we'd have to hit most of the circuit because like you just said it it's invaluable how how much more uh, a meeting is in person than the way we do things now where people phone it in you email you you send um you know mailers and packages and stuff like that but nothing's going to beat that face-to-face -face interaction ever you know and, no, and, and it, it's not just with it's not just with the other attendees it also gives you a chance uh, to meet with some of the vendors. Yeah, no, of course. And, and, and that's the, the way you start making yeah. those connections, for sure. Yeah, and the smaller the company, the more likely that the president or the owner of the company might be there. And mm -hmm. in most cases, the founders of a lot of these companies are photographers. Mm -hmm. And they may not be practicing as a photographer now and may instead be doing 
framing or backdrops or their mm-hmm. lab or they're doing software. Right. But their background all comes out of the, their roots are all usually yeah, pretty much entrenched in photography. You don't find too many companies out there that, you know, started building, I don't know, they were selling dog houses yesterday and <laughs> Yeah, and now and now now they're doing software right. album creation. Right. Yeah. It's not. It's not really uh, that big of a stretch. I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, it's to me like you just said. It was that was a big part of it too. Was I saw my friends for years who had all these nice corporate kind of uh, partners and sponsorships and stuff like that, and and then I would go see them at these events, and I was like, it all makes sense, you know, because like you just said, it's you and, and it's developed over time. So you're not the first moment, you but you know you see them you know, here, and then you see them again in New York, and then all of a sudden you're a familiar face, and then you see them again the next year, and suddenly when you make that ask or or you, you just bring it up, it's a much different conversation than if it was just something where, like you said, it, it was just like, you know, you're just mailing stuff to them or or emailing them. Um, so it's, to me, it's huge for that. We, we found that to be the case, um, you know, for the show. We, when we went to WPPI, we, we've had a lot of really great conversations uh, with you know big companies about you know sponsoring the show or ways we can um, you know promote each other and stuff like that. So it was it was definitely worth it. So what would you say makes WPPI different than some of the others throughout the calendar year? Well, that's that's a tough question because they all keep changing. Mm-hmm. Um, WPPI. Let let's go back to my time being there. WPPI was a very young audience. A lot of new photographers coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, we actually tried to change the name because calling it, you know, everybody thought of it as a wedding and portrait show. Mm-hmm. And yet, the more diverse the vendors became and the more diverse the audience needs became, the less it became focused just on being you know, a wedding and portrait show. So we actually thought about changing it and we got into a, a battle with, with PPA at the time because we were going to use the word imaging. The bottom line is that the show has gotten more and more diverse. But mm-hmm. at the same time, Imaging USA, which has typically been an older, more conservative crowd, mm-hmm. actually had an incredibly good show this year. And they had brought in a lot of new people that hadn't been to the show before. Not necessarily young, new photographers. Right. But just new established. Blood. Yeah. yeah, just new blood. Yeah. Um, and then I just came back from Shutterfest, which is just. There, there's a show that you need to attend. Yeah, I've heard. Um, I have a lot just, of friends who were going there and told me to check it out. Yeah, this is this is more this is more hands on, and at times it just becomes bizarre because they're doing a thing called rent a human, where oh wow, you know you can get you can get a model and take out a couple of pro photo lights, mm-hmm. and with a couple of other photographers or just by yourself, you can go off and shoot and start to build your portfolio based on neat. things you're learning. So. Yeah. Each show now, I mean, I'm I'm still a huge fan of WPPI. That's a big piece of my heart, and mm-hmm. it was seven years of my life with an incredible team to help uh, build it and try out some new things. So WPPI, because it's in, in Vegas, it becomes different, although I am concerned about their change next year going over to the convention right, center. to the Vegas convention um, center. Yeah, that's... That's a tough one. I understand that there are limited space, but when you lose, when you lose your key hotel like that, yeah. uh, you lose the intimacy. I mean, you, you could go to WPPI and never go to the convention and just work the escalator and the elevator. Yeah, I was about to say and that. You, you could and, build and your that's network. What we did. All the bars within the, uh, yeah. the casino floor yeah, was where just, a lot yeah. of the networking went on. Yeah, you just want to check your liver at the Nevada line. Uh, 
before. Because <laughs> in and out of the bars, I mean, one of the things that WPPI every year, I would never, I, w- I would not drink the whole week. And it was the last night when the show was over mm-hmm. that we'd all go out and get completely blotto. <laughs> um, I don't even know if that's an appropriate word anymore. I may be dating myself. It's fine. Um, it's, it's, but it's understood. Point gets across. Yeah, yeah it's understood. Yeah. Um, and that's when it would be a celebration. And that's where the following morning, you know, I'd get, I'd get dressed in shifts. You know, <laughs> you put your socks on, you lay down, uh, put your pants on, you lay, lay down, down again. <laughs> yeah. Cause we've all had mornings like that. Nobody yeah. wants to admit it. You know, I, I everybody mean, wants to think they're bulletproof. But. Yeah. And you can imagine some of the people who speak and, and, and the people who work the booths and stuff like that, who are very, they essentially have to be on the whole day. Uh, Man, I hear stories and I see them at like four or five in the morning out drinking. And the next day, you know, they're they're sitting there just, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed doing their thing. And we used to joke when we saw Peter Hurley and and he was out at PPE last year and he came back the next day and he like lost his voice and he had to speak. And then you see him on the stage still killing it. We made the running joke where he's like, he must be a vampire, you know, because that guy just has unlimited amounts of energy. Um, but yeah, I mean, it. You said it. It is so, like we went there for the first time. So it was it was the first time uh, part of it, right? Uh, and then meeting everyone and running around and recording. I checked. I wear like a like a, a um, like a wearable, like a Fitbit kind of thing. And literally, we walked twenty six miles in the four or three and a half four days we were there. I because, can believe it. Yeah, because that's that's all it was. And then we we funny we stayed at the. Um, at the Tropicana and everyone's like, Oh, it's across the street. That's great. And in my head, I'm like, that's awesome. And then I realized when it's like a four mile walk. <laughs> to go it's not across the, the street. Yeah. It, first of all, it's diagonal. And then yeah. you've got to go up and down at least two flights, three yep. flights, four flights of stairs, yep. plus the bridges. But uh-huh. you know how, um, you know how they used to say, I, I, are you old enough to remember Lassie? Yeah. The TV show. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm throwing that out there cause yeah. I'm an old fart and I remember <laughs> the original Lassie, but yeah. It was. I was crushed years later to find out that, you know, there were like six lassies, uh-huh. yeah, um, yeah. and each one each one was a different dog. Well, yeah. I'm convinced that Roberto Valenzuela is <laughs> is a quintuplet. He's one of five, and when you see Roberto sitting yeah. in the lobby with a bunch of photographers and they're talking about composition, and he couldn't be more serious, mm-hmm. um, maybe with a drink in his hand, maybe without, and yeah. then you see him at you know eight nine o'clock teaching a class i'm convinced that there are multiple valenzuelas <laughs> out there so roberto is is one of That's i funny. believe um you know there are four other twins yeah. there that yeah. fall in line you know that's 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 probably pretty accurate I'm not gonna yeah lie, you know? but just to go back to that original question just mm-hmm. for a second sure what everybody needs to remember is that every show is going to have something a little different for you and i'm a huge fan that people need to go to as many conferences as they possibly can and I know that it's tough sometimes. You're going to leave yeah. your business. But at every single conference or convention you go to, you pick up something new. Yeah. And each one recharges your battery. Now, I wish that they were spread out a little bit more. But yeah. the first quarter is essentially, it, it's become downtime. Um, it is typically the slow season for most photographers in most markets. So everybody packs everything into those first three to four months of the year and it makes it kind of tough. But Mm -hmm. every single one gives you some charge of your battery, something creatively, maybe it's something you're going to learn. 
that's different. Maybe it's a new product that's going to come out. Um, and each show is a little different. So when you were asking, you know, what makes WPPI different, mm-hmm. um, like I said, it's it, it's all about the education and what everybody needs. Right. So each one is a little different. And there's some really good small shows and they're good big shows. So Yeah, yeah no, and, and, and that's funny. Like when that people ask me, or they tell me, oh, when I went, I just didn't, you know, I, I didn't really see the point. You know, I, I always say to them, well, were you very specific with yourself with what you were wanting to get out of it? Because unless you know what you want to get out of it and you just go there and wander around for four or five days and then go out and go to, you know, drink and go to restaurants. Yeah, I can imagine that you would, um, you know, feel kind of uh, like it wasn't very uh, fulfilling. But uh, when we went there, like I said, especially after PPE last year, we knew we had a very specific, you know, goal in mind. And because of that, and then the hustle and the way we kind of went around and met everyone and took meetings and stuff, it, you know, it was hugely beneficial to us. Um, but again, you have to be self-disciplined enough to kind of make that that connection in your head. Um, so, okay, let's let's drop some names here. All right, Polaroid, Hasselblad, Rangefinder, WPPI. The list goes on. So you've worked with some of the biggest names in the industry in very high-level positions like president and CEO of many different companies. So can you tell us a bit? I mean, you say you kind of already kind of went into it a little bit about your career thus far. Um, but like you said, I mean, you've, you've kind of worked the whole gamut in terms of the photo industry. Well, let's go back to my roots. Sure. Uh, I was every parent's nightmare and thrown out of college numerous times. Oh, geez. And it was because I had, I had zero maturity. Uh-huh. Didn't know what I wanted to do. Went right. off to Miami of Ohio and Southern Ohio. Oh, wow. I have a couple buddies that went there. All right. It was great, great school. I grew mm-hmm. up in Ohio. That was the toughest one to get into. I have no idea how I did because I wasn't a particularly stellar student in mm-hmm. high school either. Right. But at Miami of Ohio, I just didn't want to work. I had had no focus, had no idea what I wanted to do. So I'd go on academic probation one semester and then I'd be afraid. Oh my God, I'm going to get thrown out. And I'd work hard the next semester. I had a couple of times where I even made Dean's list. And then oh, the wow. second semester, I'd be out the door again. Yeah. And they finally said, hey kid, go away. <laughs> you, you are not mature enough to handle this. Right. However, I did, I did learn how to play pinball quite well. And I did manage <laughs> to never buy a beer. Um, yeah. for one small stretch of my career when my pinball game was at, at its best. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, oh, it's a ridiculous, it was a, absurd. I mean, I convinced my parents if I had a car, I could come home more often. Well, you yeah. weren't allowed to have a car. They didn't know that. And I was paying some woman 10 bucks a month at the College View Motel to park my car behind the, uh, the motel. Oh my God. That's um, at another point, I convinced them that if I had an apartment, um, I could study more because there, there was too much noise in the dorm. Right. Um, well, I happened to have a graduate student friend who was a roommate. Um, he had a car. And I mean, it was just, if anything, I learned marketing in college yeah. on things that I could sell my parents, um, <laughs> to which years later, I gave some of the stories to my dad. And he was, I mean, he was really he was furious and then he just burst out laughing until yeah. he cried. Yeah, of course. The bottom line is that unless you failed a few times, you can't appreciate winning. Yeah. And when I was finally asked to leave, my world kind of fell apart. 
I was dating a woman from Boston at the time and decided it was time to move home and went to work at Polaroid at $2.89 an hour washing bottles in the lab. They had a great tuition reimbursement program and I went back to school nights at BU's Metropolitan College. But at that point, um, by the time I started doing that, I was married, um, was thinking about starting a family, mm-hmm. and suddenly I had focus. I couldn't, I couldn't just screw off like I had, like I had been doing as a as a single student. Right. So that gave me a lot of focus. And then one day at Polaroid, I got a cold call from a headhunter who wanted to know if I knew of anybody that wanted to be president, would be interested in being president of a small camera company. Thought it was my brother-in-law. Um, told him to kiss my ass, and I'll see you <laughs> later at Ma's for dinner. Um, I mean, I just, I really thought it was him clowning around. And right. as I'm hanging up the phone, this guy is yelling, no, 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 my name is Mark Chappelle. I'm a headhunter. And um, that wound up being president of Hasselblad USA. Wow. And that was an amazing change for me. Mm-hmm. Um, for one thing, my experience up to that point, at, at the time at Polaroid, what I had that Hasselblad needed, I was manager of the photo specialty dealers. Mm-hmm. Hasselblads were only sold through my network. They weren't sold at Kmart. They weren't sold at any mass discounters. Right. They weren't, they, they were strictly sold through camera stores. There were no other channels. It's not like we had, um, GSA or you could go into a drugstore and, right. you know, find a new dark slide for the one you lost from your Hasselblad. Uh, so that became a really significant, that was, that's where I look at my career in photography really starting. Because mm-hmm. prior to that and my Polaroid experience over those 17 years, I, I just loved Polaroid. And I was in the lab and then I went into personnel for a short stretch. Nothing like taking a job as a staffer um, 60 days before a layoff and issuing yourself. Ooh. I issued yeah. myself my layoff notice. Mm. And I had seniority, so I had bumping rights. That took me into customer service. The customer service job took me into camera repair and customer service. Um, That also took me overseas for two and a half years. So every three weeks, I was at another Polaroid subsidiary on customer service things, then come back in. And I was in Chicago for a while. The bottom line is Polaroid gave me a lot of great education in terms of chasing dreams, mm-hmm. um, and understanding components of business. So that by the time I went to Hasselblad, I mean, we used to do things at Hasselblad in terms of planning out a program and everybody would say, wow, I mean, where'd you learn to do that? Well, it was on the job training. I mean, mm-hmm. it, at Polaroid, they used to tell us it takes 13 and a half weeks by the time you think of an idea right. to the time that idea might show up on the dealer's shelves or in an ad, mm-hmm. you know, a print ad or something. Mm-hmm. Well, suddenly at Hasselblad, we might come up with an idea on a Monday and we could have it out by the following Monday. Wow. Because it was more, it was a compact group. Mm -hmm. It was 45 of the most wonderful, amazing people I'd ever worked with. And that's where I really got started to get my education. So if you look at all those steps, even, even, I mean, even from Hasselblad to WPPI, two guys came into my office one day and wanted to know if I wanted to be president of an internet company they were starting a company called PhotoAlley.com. These two guys had great marketing backgrounds, something that the photo industry had never been known for yeah. previously. Yeah, because it was a black box up until that time. Yeah, it wasn't only that, but but half the time if Kodak came out with a new film, it's because the film that they were trying to make was either underripe or overripe, so the color balance was wrong, and they'd suddenly say, oh, you know what? 
we're going to call this uh, Ektar and we're going to give it a new name and, and it's slower and it's more saturated, mm -hmm. but it wasn't necessarily, a lot of those things weren't always in the plans of what right. the industry was doing. So yeah. I go off to photoalley.com and two and a half years later, I refer to it as seven to one, like a dog's life. It felt like 15 years. <laughs> It was an internet startup and we got over $30 million in sales. But when wow. the two owners couldn't get us in the black, um, we went belly up in 2001, along with a lot of people. You've probably right, got friends that got caught. Yeah. yeah, when the internet imploded. Mm -hmm. You know, the model, the model didn't work. Let's see, we're going to get millions of people, millions of money, uh, millions of dollars rather from investors. And we're going to start this company and we're going to lose money for five years. And then we're going to go public and make millions. Yeah. No, it didn't yeah, work. It's yeah. like, it's like they remember the sock puppet from one of the uh, the dog sock puppet. I can't remember what the company was. It was a dog. It was a uh, pet company. Maybe it was Pets.com. Mm, yeah, whatever it was, it was a pet company, and they had unbelievable recognition. Mm -hmm. But all they did was lose money. Yeah. So when the internet imploded, so did Photo Alley, and that's when uh, the owner of Rangefinder, who was a friend, said, why don't you come out here because I need help and you can be president and I'll be chairman of the board and stay out of your hair. And that's where the WPPI Rangefinder connection came in. And then the last one was 2009 when I decided to stop living vicariously through people like you and all my friends out there <laughs> who are entrepreneurs and have your own photography businesses and just decided it was time to get Throw the crutches away because mm -hmm. I had always worked for other companies. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry that was that was like a really long boring no, that, story. But, <laughs> no, geez. that's fine because and I think the 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 kind of over overarching element, like you said, was that a lot of that was first of all doing the work right and being like you said suddenly had to find your focus and being willing to take whatever kind of opportunities came to you. So that led you to bump around in Polaroid and then opened you up to suddenly become the president of Hasselblad USA. So it a lot and then you you put put that with the networking aspect of it, how every one thing led to the next. But it was also because of the way, you know, your your personality and, and the work ethic and that kind of thing. So I think that's you know, that's hugely important. I mean, that's and a lot of people you hear that and they and they say, Oh, well, you know, it's all about who you know, and I don't really know anyone like that. And, and I always tell people, like, you don't have to be an extrovert to to just be a nice person, you know, and to be able to meet people throughout your career and just never really burn a bridge or close a door because you never know. And and being open like that is what's going to make you suddenly look at your career past, you know, 20 some years and yeah. go, wow, look at that. You know, like who, who would have thought I would have connected all those dots? Well, there's a great line that that I've I've used a lot. Usually, at somebody's retirement party, but it's by uh, Alfred Lord Tennyson from Ulysses, and it's the line goes, "I'm a part of all that I have met." Well, I don't think people realize that every single day you're working. We're all work in progress. Yeah, and all of these things that you do from from a client that you might work with that was really difficult, or a client that you worked with that you absolutely loved, all the way to you might be speaking at a convention. You might be walking. You might be in the elevator next to, you know, you're standing next to Joe McNally and you right. never met him before. All of those pieces make up who we are. And that's where I've referred to myself a lot as one of the luckiest guys in this industry because I have managed to work for and with some amazing people. And there have been a couple hockey pucks along the way. But 
overall, when I look at everything that I do today, I can trace almost everything I do back to some point, whether it was last week or last year or 20 years ago of something that I learned from somebody or heard somebody speak or something that happened at a convention. So that's why it's so important for photographers. You got to get out of your studio. You got to get out from behind your camera and you, and you need to be involved in your community and get out Mm -hmm. and do stuff. No, for sure. So like you said, that time in 2009, when you started Skip Cohen University, right? So around that time, like many guests of the show, you're a Creative Live alumni, right? So you've been, you've been an instructor on, on the platform. And that was in the early days of like 2012. So early on. So tell me, how, how was that experience for you? Um, being that you already kind of had, like you said, you already were starting to build something on your own. And then being asked to be part of this, this you know, at that time, pretty new uh, platform that was making waves uh, in, in the education space. Well, I, I love being a part of it. Uh, this is another one that goes back to being the most fun I wouldn't want to do again. <laughs> and the reason is for a lot of, for a lot of speakers there, if you're a photographer, you can fill in mm-hmm. for an hour or two right. and demonstrate posing, lighting, something in the way you shoot. Mm-hmm. For me, teaching business and marketing, which is, is my passion, mm-hmm. um, I had over, if you count all my dissolves, I think I got up to around 900 slides over the, over the couple of days that I did this. Wow. Because, you know, you can't, you can't say, well, let's bring up a model and I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. Right, right, right. You can't do that. Right. And one thing that saved me, I remember that we had uh, Matthew Jordan Smith on oh, nice. uh, live as a guest. And we were talking about something Matthew was doing, and we actually shut down his website because everybody <laughs> everybody hit it at the same time, and that's great. And the uh, the servers blew up, but you know that that helped a little bit. Mm-hmm. But people don't realize that anybody, whether it's a photographer or somebody like me, that's more of a writer and and involved in the business marketing side, I don't think when people are watching it, they realize how much work. Goes oh, yeah. into the preparation yeah. of a program like that. No, so sure. I, lo- I mean, I, I, I loved it. I, I enjoy just, I mean, just about all the creative live episodes I've seen. Mm-hmm. Virtually every one of my friends or people that I've, I hope to someday have as a friend, mm-hmm. have done creative live. And there's a lot of there's a lot of good content there. But there's also a lot of other things that are out there now, which has changed so much since. Mm-hmm. Um, I did Creative Live four years ago. Yeah. Any plans on going back since they've been getting better and better? Or are you just kind of like one and done was pretty good for me? <laughs> um, no. Well, that one was done, but I'm about to get involved with some lynda.com things. And I'm also doing some things of my own uh, that nice. I want to do. And nice. it's just, it's, it's kind of fun. It's, it's about, it's about the reach that we all have today. Mm-hmm. And I've been accused of being the industry cheerleader, and I don't mind that accusation at all. <laughs> um, if I can, if I can help some young photographer out there, yeah. or some old fart like me who's yeah. trying to reinvent, reinvent, uh, yeah, reinvent yeah, and give his business a, or her business a little bit of a facelift, mm-hmm. then this is one of those things where we all learn from each other. And, oh yeah, you know, I'd rather I'd rather somebody looked and understood how I got my scars. 
and then go make your own one. Make yeah. your own mistakes. Yeah. No, and I, learn from everybody else's. And it's funny. I, I've I've always felt that way. And for some I, I really struggle understanding why so many people held the the very closed off uh, old school mentality of everyone you talk to is competition, you know, and you don't want to ever give up uh, anything because they might then all of a sudden take over your clients and stuff like that. And I, I just, I never understood it. And you just said it. I mean, if you, if you look at it, like we're all in the same boat together and if we just all help each other, it's literally, you know, they say um, rising tide raises all ships, you know, that it's all going to benefit you. You know, I, I even wrote an article, um, why other why why other creatives should never be your competition? And it's the same thing because you never know, especially doing these circuits, right? You might meet someone who you think is a rock star and would never pay you the time of day, and then you just have an open, honest conversation with them, and all of a sudden they're like, "Oh yeah, hey, here, you should talk to this person or I'll introduce this person," and they all of a sudden help you break that ceiling into the next level of your career. Now. Would that have been the same if you just looked at him and go, oh, screw that guy. He's, you know, he's got all his stuff going on and, ah, you know, whatever. No, there's but, there's so many opportunities out there to to learn from each other. I mean, we mm-hmm. just we just cranked up uh, Mind Your Own Business, which I'm doing with my good buddy Scott Bourne. And Mind Your Own Business is a podcast on just that. And it's Scott and I sharing our experiences. And... Rich Harrington and I were doing it for a while, and mm-hmm. that ties back into photofocus.com. And I mean, there's so mm-hmm. many different places, even even Facebook. Mm-hmm. I mean, I happen to love the, the Shutterfest forum, and there's so much good information being exchanged. But then there are probably another 10 to 12 forums on Facebook. So yeah. for people to get involved and talk to each other, sometimes it's just as simple as getting into a conversation you know, on an on an IM back and forth, or yeah. in one of the forums. Yeah, no, for sure. So, so you mentioned all the stuff you're doing on your own. So, Skip, on that note, you know, tell us a little bit about Skip Cohen University. I mean, I, like you'd mentioned, it, it started on the same time as Creative Live, uh, yours in 2009, and, and Creative Live in 2010, um, and you've been on the platform as well. So, what would you say is, is some of the like differentiating factors of uh, of, of SCU? Well, SCU is really a content-driven educational resource. Um, I have at at any given time anywhere from six to probably ten different uh, partner companies that get involved. So I've got it. it it's about education. Every every day, right. um, I post. I started out doing seven days a week. That almost killed me. Then I, I went imagine. five days a yeah. week, and now I'm re- I'm really pretty much back to seven days a week that I post something of my own. But then in addition to that, on any given day, there might be, oh, two to five posts that relate to the sponsors, mm-hmm. um, Profoto, Photodex, uh, Panasonic, Tamron, and Marathon, and the list goes on, um, where I'll tie in with something that is educational for them. But those people mm-hmm. that know me know that I will not endorse a company or a product that I don't like or that I don't believe in. So there's a certain amount of truth in advertising, I suppose. But mm-hmm. there's also a wealth of content out there. People don't realize it. And, you know, I was kidding about Roberto Valenzuela before, who's a very, very good buddy. But if you go into YouTube and just type in his name, right. you'll find a dozen or more short videos. Some mm-hmm. he did himself. Some might have been an excerpt from something like Creative Live. Mm-hmm. So you'll find a ton of content out there. So... 
what I'll do, there's a lot of content that I consider repurposed. One of the things that happens in our industry, sadly, Mm -hmm. is that people will, companies get tired of their ads or their webinars or their videos out there long before the public has. Yeah. And I mean, I've, I've posted some great things by Tamara Lackey, by uh, Joe McNally um, that have all come off of, in fact, piece of Rich Harrington's on video production that have all come out of Adorama's archives. Oh, nice. And it's on YouTube. It's available there, mm-hmm. but nobody has the time to go boil it down and go off in search of. So yeah. knowing what my audience is mostly interested in, I will find things and I will get a kick out of promoting and and putting something up there on the site that's relevant to helping a photographer change their game a little bit and mix it up. Nice. And that's really what the difference is. I do I I do podcasts. I've stopped doing my my own podcast pretty much just on SCU. Mm-hmm. And working with you today is one example. I do one with Brian Caparici called Weekend Wisdom that I do of my own every two weeks. And then I'm having fun with something new that nobody else is doing and I don't know why. And maybe that's a good thing or maybe maybe I'm off a beat. Um, I'll do a a lot of times I'll do a thing called First Bite, Mm B-Y-T-E, and I'll drop in a one or two minute soundtrack with a blog post. And mm-hmm. what that does is that it takes the blog from being one-dimensional and just yeah, flat yeah. and reading it or looking at some photos that go with it. And it ties in something that I can share on why I think this is important for right. a photographer to read. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what the difference is in the in the format. Mine is much more of a blog and content-driven versus um, video. straight educational right. video. Right. Uh, plus, on any given week, I may feature the work of, I don't know, six to 10 different photographers. Wow. Nice. So, yeah. So you, you said it, I mean, the smart thing is a lot of people who, who are remotely uh, tech savvy or uh, let's just say uh, on the marketing tip of, of, you know, generation we're in uh, all that stuff only helps your blog too, because you have all those different forms of rich media. You know, you, you have the blog, you have the photos and you have the audio part um, and some videos, too. So that's only that's only helping you as well. Um, and photographers, I think, uh, are starting to get more into that. I mean, you, you see now where a lot of people have, like you said, if they don't have their own YouTube channel, but they're still posting stuff on YouTube um, and realizing that people want to kind of see or they they ingest content in different ways. So whether it's, uh, you know, just audio or pictures or reading or, or video, um, you know, we, we all kind of have to give a little bit of each to, to keep things, uh, keep things fresh. Yeah. And you've got, and you've got Periscope now mm-hmm. and you've got Instagram and you've got, uh, you've got so many vehicles out there to be able to share content. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the only problem is that you got a few photographers every now and then that have no right to share any content <laughs> until they boost their skill set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's there's a lot of bad information out there. Right. And I, you know, I used to see it sift through and shit. Yeah. Well, I used to see it strictly in in like workshops. In fact, I got a I got an email once from somebody who said, Hey, you're from Ohio. I'm from Ohio too. Could you give me a hand promoting my program? And I know what happened. You got a husband and wife sitting around the kitchen table and the refrigerator died and he said, well, <laughs> hey, honey, why don't you do a workshop? Yeah. <laughs> and and suddenly you've got somebody unqualified. Now, that's not the case with everybody. Right. But you do have a lot of people out there that think they can teach 
And I'm sorry, it's it's one thing to be creative and to create an incredible image. It's another thing to be able to teach people how to do what what you just did. Yeah, yeah. No, it's for sure. I mean, and there's some people like I I always equate it to like uh, very visual people who know how to go places, right? But then as soon as you ask them for directions, you see them start like (laughs) shutting down. They go, well, wait, you know, you make a left on... After the Dunkin' Donuts, and then you go, well, what's the name of the street? Ah, you know, I don't know. It's like, oh my God, forget it. It's fine. I'll just use Google Maps. <laughs> I mean, like, thank exactly. God we technology is caught up. So um, another staple to many of the guests that we have on is the title of author, which you've held an impressive six times. So uh, tell me, what was what was the process like for you over the years? Um, you know, did you publish them through like the traditional route or maybe in the more recent years, um, you've taken advantage of the technology and self-published? Um, actually, the first book we self-published mm-hmm. and that was with Don Blair and it was called Don Blair's Guide to Posing and Lighting Body Parts. Mm-hmm. And at that time, Don Blair was one of the most, well, he still is, even though he passed away a lot of years ago. I mean, Don Blair was one of the most recognized portrait photographers out there mm-hmm. and basically said, you can't break the rules until you learn them. Yeah. So his specialty was lighting, posing. I mean, nobody could do hand posing like Don did, especially mm-hmm. when you were trying to show off, a, you know, the the wedding ring and, mm-hmm. and and the male's band, and you wanted to get those two rings together while on their hands holding or corsage and putting all that together. So Don and I decided to do a book that that showed you the wrong way to do it and then the right way to do it. And it's very funny because. Uh, Tony Corbell helped us do the shoot along with Terry Daglow, who was then at Kodak. So what you had there was four incredibly good friends spending several days in Las Vegas and literally shooting on film, but we shoot a Polaroid first. And then I had the storyboards masking taped all over the walls. Nice. That's cool. And then, and then Don and I self-published it, Marathon printed it. And it's interesting because we just went back to press recently because it's still one of the best books out there, uh, maybe one of the only ones out there for just fine-tuning classic portraiture. Yeah. And one of the things you got to be able to do today, I don't care how easy you think it is to become a photographer, sooner or later you're going to get a client that wants a really flattering headshot. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the things I love about Peter Hurley's work and the way yeah. Peter brings in the personality of the subjects. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was self-published. And then all the rest of them were projects. I did three books with Bambi Cantrell, followed by, um, I guess, Joe Busink's book. I was going to say. Came he, after he, that. Yeah, you had one of uh, yep. one of your books was co-authored with him. He was um, a recent guest that we talked to. We were at WPPI, and he was great. awesome. He was He's a great, great guy. He is a phenomenal artist. And what I love about Joe, um, in fact, everybody that I work with is always has always been willing to share their mistakes. And I remember one of the ones I loved about Joe where he talked about um, making the mistake of buying a tilt shift lens early on and putting a lot of money into it, thinking it would make his work look so much different. Well, he barely used it and he sold it as a loss later on, which makes the point about if there's something high end that you feel you need, go rent it for the weekend first or take it out for a week. Yeah. Don't don't tie up your capital when your cash is limited. Mm-hmm. Don't tie it up on on chasing a creative dream to see if this is going to work when you can rent it first. Mm-hmm. And then if it doesn't, you've got the option then of great. Let's let's see what what lens I do need or what right. kind of lighting or what what you know what 
what I'm going to tie up in right. capital equipment. Um, so the the other those books, and then Scott Bourne and I did Going Pro together. So the only thing I would say that being an author is about fame, not fortune. Unless you're going to write a New York Times bestseller right. and wind up with Oprah giving it out to all her guests <laughs> or or some other talk show, it's right. it's it's an incredible responsibility. Yeah. I, there were there were at least twice in the in the six books that I've done with other co-authors that I wanted to pull the plug and just said, "Oh, come on, yeah. this is bullshit. I can't do this anymore." Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, Joe and I almost got to that point because he was traveling, and then and I was blaming it on him, and then it was more my fault because I my schedule got crazy. So. Yeah. What everybody needs to remember, and in fact, Roberto Matthew and I had this conversation not long ago because all three of us had done books, mm-hmm. um, and we were doing something on on SPTV, which is Sandy Putch's uh, network, and we were talking about the importance of when you decide to do a book, you got to put your ego aside. It's a yeah. huge commitment, oh, and yeah. you can't suddenly stop midstream and say, oh, no, you know what? Let's call the game at the fifth inning. We're not going to play nine innings today. We're, yeah. I'm, I'm all done. We're going to go home. Yeah. So it does become a huge commitment. It's an incredible amount of work. Uh, the co-authors I've worked with are all, in their own right, just phenomenal people. But it is it is a challenge. And you yeah. do learn a lot about your own discipline. Yeah. I mean, you said it. I mean, to think like the people we've asked, I think on average, the time spent to, to actually write a book uh, was anywhere from one to two years. So when you think about it, that's a long time to right. commit to. Uh, and on top of everything else, you know, because a lot of these guys are just, they're not they're not just straight authors, you know. Um, and yeah, it, but again, like you said, it, it's a, the discipline, the determination to kind of see it through to the end, um, and also, like you had said, being willing to accept um, that that the, your faults and stuff like that were through the process. Um, you know, Peter was talking about how he, he did one and I think, uh, Scott Kelby was helping him with it. And he literally was probably at that point a year in and realized it didn't work and he had to redo the whole thing, you know, and it's like, that must've been tough. But again, if you're honest with yourself and, and say, you know what, I'm only going to do, um, this, if I'm going to do it right, then, then yeah, it's, it's a, it's a good place to be. Well, there's a great story that Guy Kawasaki told on his about his last book, and I heard him speak at a publishing conference. And he is one of the most published authors in the world. And, yeah. and he got up there and he talked about how he put his manuscript together and he had it all ready to go. And I believe he said he gave it out to 40 different people mm-hmm. to read. And he took all their corrections and then he hired a great editor. Because the most important part of any book is to make sure you've got a good editor. If you yeah. think you can do it all yourself, you are totally kidding yourself yeah anyway he turned it into the editor and he said i'll bet you've never seen a manuscript this good before and a few weeks later he got it back with 1600 mistakes and this is after everybody had read it so you know it's it's a huge it's a huge commitment it's not just about what you say it's also about how you say it a good editor uh, to me, the most important thing on doing any book is having a truly good editor who's going to challenge you and just sort of Monday morning quarterback the mm-hmm. book and say, why did you say it that way? And mm-hmm. what does that mean? And let's pretend I know nothing about right. this particular technique. Um, I have not done any kind when you talked about, you know, taking advantage of some of the of 
of technology out there. I have mm-hmm. not done an ebook and I have not done my own book. So mm-hmm. those are on the list for I hope 2016. Nice. All and right. see if I can see if I can fly without a co-op. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, sweet. So uh you've held like we talked about various roles throughout your career. Which one would you say was the most fulfilling? Almost an impossible question. Um <laughs> and I I'll, I'll tell you why because they were all different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um Hasselblad was amazing. Hasselblad is still near and dear to my heart and my roots and that was my first opportunity to really see if everything I'd learned up until then really made any sense. Mm-hmm. And there were some there, there were some big mistakes I made. I mean, I remember early on being interviewed by one of the magazines as the new president of Hasselblad and literally telling this writer everything I was excited about doing over the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Well, that that was like handing Henry Froelich then, who was over at Mamiya, a blueprint of what my game plan was. Yeah. And when the article came out, my my ego couldn't have been bigger. And I'm sitting there going, hey, look at that. Man, I'm Skip Cohen. I got an article this month in Photo Trade News. And then the next day, I was just nauseous because I had yeah. talked about things we wanted to do with students and ways we wanted to find to bring the price down on Hasselblad. And I had given up all the secrets. And the... Yeah. You know, your ego, there are times we've all got an ego and Mm -hmm. me too. And there are times when all of a sudden the old line is when, when you see somebody start to crash, the line is, uh, they were starting to believe their own press releases, (laughs) (laughs) which is, and, and without going into any names here, you and I could probably come up with a half dozen people who we saw crash and burn over the years because they really started to believe that they were infallible Mm -hmm. and had something so important. Drinking their own Kool-Aid, yeah. You got it. That's another way to put it. (laughs) Um, So the president of Hasselblad, that was very significant in my foundation, but Mm -hmm. so was photoalley.com because photoalley.com failed and my accountant said, if you don't go stand in the unemployment line, um, I'm going to go stand there for you because you've paid your taxes. You've got a right to that money. And yet I was mortified. There's no way I was going to collect unemployment. Yeah. I had worked my whole life up until that point, And suddenly I'm unemployed and, and standing in the ner- unemployment line in New Jersey. So mm. Photo Alley became an incredible experience in terms of a combination of things. Um, humility, but at the same time, learning an incredible amount about the internet, mm-hmm. um, about the way to extend your reach, about the power of the internet. At that right. point, it wasn't anything like what we have today. I mean, yeah. digital technology was just taking off. We weren't in, it, it wasn't, we had no Instagram. Uh, we had no Facebook, uh, Pinterest, Google+. I mean, none of those existed then. So it was mm-hmm. right on the the cusp of, this is like uh, 99 to 2001 in that window where the internet was taking off and screaming and all these models were being built. And I mean, come on, they gave me a million shares of Photo Alley. I had to take the job. Yeah. Of course, a million shares later, um, the only thing it was good for was wallpapering. Yeah, a million uh, shares of nothing. Uh, nothing. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. zero. Yeah. Um, and then you go to Rangefinder and WPPI, which really brought in another aspect of my career and the people that I worked with. The one thing that's been a common denominator through all of these, mm-hmm. I have worked with some incredible teams. And 
Um, I don't know if were you able to make the awards program at WPPI? No, because I okay. uh, I teach at some local colleges and uh, I had to uh, come back on Tuesday night. I think it was we we went so it was our first time. So we stupidly went for the beginning and not the end. And I realized I won't make that mistake again because we went there Friday when no one else was there, and then uh, Saturday. You know, we we went to the press kind of uh, kickoff, and that was cool. And then Sunday was when finally everyone else started getting there, and we left right before you know the, the final uh, award ceremony. Well, all I was going to say about the awards program at the last at, at that last program, I presented a memorial award on behalf um, in the memory of Bill Herder, who was the editor of Rangefinder Magazine, yeah. and presenting that award was such an incredible moment for me and it was mm-hmm. such an honor to be asked to do it but one of the things that i that i wanted to remind everybody bill was part of that team that really took wppi from 2500 around 2001 to 2002 to somewhere around 15 17000 in 2009 when i left and bill george veranakis arlene cohen and i that was that was essentially the senior management team mm-hmm. but then the rest of the team it was just an amazing group of people. And people don't realize that WPPI was essentially built by roughly, you know, 20 people mm-hmm. um, plus 120 volunteers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's, that aspect is huge. Yeah. yeah. That's, what, that's what made it keep working and keep growing for so many years. So yeah. that was significant. And then now we're, we're in 2009, I went for the risk to start my own company. And that's been fulfilling right. not yeah. not the same but you know i it, i guess i put it in between you know my past as president of hasselblad and those 12 years and some amazing things that happened and the rangefinder wppi is as you know two that were most fulfilling and yet all along the way and mm-hmm. you know this as well as i do if you love what you're doing yeah. then every day becomes fulfilling yeah no for sure you know and and you said it. I mean, like you said, it's it's every little thing was just different, you know, and, and it was a different point in your career, a different point in your life. And and was all of them were as, you know, as fulfilling as the next because of, of where you were in your career. Um, so we are getting up to about an hour. Now, this next section is a few questions um, where we get a little deep. So if you can, we'll just limit the responses to like a minute or two, um, because these are the kind of questions that honestly a lot of people, you find out a lot about, you know, uh, the, the guests themselves. So what would you say is the biggest risk you've taken in your career? Uh, 2009, walking away from the job that everybody said was the greatest job in the world as president of Rangefinder and WPPI and starting my own company at a time when the economy was the worst recession in my lifetime Mm -hmm. and everybody looking at me, including some members of my own family who said, you're nuts, but I wasn't, I wasn't happy. So that was, that was the big risk. And there's a great line about, I do it because I can, I do it because I want to, I do it because you told me I couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just like, we never outgrow that. I mean, that's the way we were when we're, we're all little kids and your parents Mm -hmm. say, no, you can't do that. You're not old enough. Oh yeah. Watch. Yes, yeah. I can. Yeah, um, and that's really you never outgrow it, and that's that's what it was. I wanted I wanted to start my own company, and that that's where the where the risk was, and and I love it. Nice. I mean, there's a, there's a funny, much more vulgar <laughs> rendition of that where I've seen where uh, someone goes in every successful person's 
career, there's a little bit of fuck you in every single thing <laughs> they do. And like you said, I kind of thought about it. Uh, and I go, wow, that's true. Because for a lot of people, nothing that you do if you're an entrepreneur or a self-starter is without doubt and without people who, whether they're loved ones or, or people who just want to, um, you know, just bring you down, uh, can, will say certain things that, well, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely crush your spirits. And it's a little bit of that kind of, you know, fuck you attitude that you have to have to say, I'm going to succeed in spite of what you think, you know, and whether you take your lumps and it's a loss or, or, it, you know, you are a huge success. I think that's kind of a, a necessary part of it because, if not, then what do you, what are you fighting for? You know? Well, you have to, you have to take those risks. Yeah. And I, I remember early on, um, Sheila and I are coming up on six years of being married. This is my second marriage. And I remember we weren't married yet. Uh, and I, we were talking about, I, I want to go out on my own. And she said, so what's stopping you? What are you afraid of? And I said, failing. And that's, I mean, it's something that we all own. And she'd sit there and she'd say, well, I've been with you enough and, and you're a Skip Cohen. And it's like, yeah, all right. That's what my image is. Right. But I've got the same fears that everybody has when you're trying something new and oh, yeah. you want it to work. And oh, yeah. the difference is that, that you decide to go ahead and I'm going to do it anyway. And I, and I always remind new photographers, especially, listen to all the advice that everybody gives you. Mm-hmm. And then sit down one day, every now and then and just weigh it all out and then do whatever the hell your heart is telling you to do yeah. and go with. Yeah. You know, I mean, make it make it some calculated risks. And right. if somebody says, hey, if you jump off that cliff, you're going to die in the rocks below, that's probably right. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that you can't jump from a lower height or you can't wear a parachute or you can't find some other analogy that's going right. to let you some do it. Way. So, yeah, yeah, finding a way to make it work. Yeah, I mean, you said it. When I, when I had uh, Chase Jarvis on, that was, you know, I asked him, I go, when's the last time you had that imposter feeling? And he laughed and he's like, last night at two in the morning, he's like, it never goes away. And like you said, those fears and, 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 and doubts and stuff like that really never go away either. Uh, no matter what point you're at in your career, because like you said, you can be at a high level like you were, you know, executive of all these huge companies and these great things in the industry. And you still were like, you know what, I want to do something different. So in that sense, you have success and you're willing to risk it to to do something on your own. So what would you say is your biggest fear creatively? So would it would it be that? You know, obviously for a lot of uh, us, it, it's that failure. Yeah, it's still it it's still failure, but but the way you get around it and the way you work through it, everybody's got to have at least one person in your life. It might be your spouse, it might be a relative, it might be your right. brother, your sister, it might be a parent. Um, you've got to have one person at least one, and some people are luckier and have two or three, but Sheila becomes my sounding board on mm-hmm. a lot of things. And then I've got a couple of really, really very close friends that I'll say, all right, here's what I'm thinking about doing. And the whole trick is to have special friendships with people that will watch you almost hang yourself, but they'll put a chair under you before the rope goes taut. Because <laughs> you still, because you got to take the risks. Yeah. This is not, I mean, being in any business today, I mean, it's, it is about taking risks and you've got to be willing to risk it all. And if you really believe in what you're about to do, then you want to go ahead and be able to take on the challenges. Because when it doesn't work in its own way, it's still fulfilling because mm-hmm. you at least tried something. Right. And when it does work, it the rush is outrageous. So you feel yeah. you feel terrific then. And it's like, 
It's like, I think it was Thomas Edison that said, you know, I haven't failed. I've just had 10,000 mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm probably screwing up that quote horribly, but, <laughs> but you get the point. Exactly. You you're you're 10,000 steps closer to succeeding you know, or, or finding the way that works, right? right? So what would you say? And I know you've kind of already alluded to this a little bit. If you had to name the most meaningful moment in your career thus far, what would it be? Oh, career career wise probably would be taking the jump. Um, wow. <laughs> One side of me says taking the jump in 2009 and leaving right. Rangefinder and going off on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that became a very meaningful moment. Um, the other one was walking up to the front door of Hasselblad, um, coming out of a, I mean, senior management, but not at the level of president, president, CEO out of a position at Polaroid, uh, ringing the doorbell, coming into the office and having the receptionist run to get somebody and not let me in the door. I mean, I opened up this little window there like a doctor's office and said, hi, I'm Skip. I'm the new president, can I come in? And she said, just a minute. And she ran. <laughs> and she went to get Al Zimmerman to come down and open the door for me and right. let me in. Right. That was that was incredibly meaningful. And I remember going through each employee one at a time and I, I brought everybody into my office and and I'd say, all right, look, you know who I am, but I don't know who you are. So yeah. whether it's five minutes or we take an hour, tell me about yourself. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, the first person looked at me and it was a big Russian and, um, oh, I'm sorry. I, I was doing participative management. My question was, what do you think I should be working on as the new president of Hasselblad? And this, mm-hmm. um, big Russian camera repair technician looked at me, Chris, and he said, uh, oh, Mr. Cohen, I don't stick nose in your business. You don't stick nose in mine. All right. <laughs> All right. Great. <laughs> so then I tried it on an, on the, on the next guy that came in and I remember saying, you know, what do you think I should, uh, what do you like about working at Hasselblad? I thought that was a better one. And he looked at me, his name was Ted. I don't remember his last name. And he said, uh, Oh, I love working here. I love the trees. (laughs) Well, he lived in New York. He was in the city somewhere. So coming out to New Jersey, it was green. It was had trees. And then I went back to my old question again of, I had Don Whittle, who at that point was in his 70s and was our warehouse manager. And I said, Don, what do you think I ought to be working on? And he sounded just like our Carney. He said, hey, you're the boss. You know, you work on whatever you want to work on. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, I gave up. But that was so meaningful. Those, those people and that group at that time, that really was my introduction. That was my first family in professional photography. So. Nice. I'm sorry. I can never give you a short answer. No. I keep trying. <laughs> that's that's fine. So uh, conversely, what would you say is the biggest regret in your career? Oh, not taking more risks earlier. Yeah. I was very, I was, I was comfortable at Polaroid. I was comfortable at Hasselblad. I was comfortable at Rangefinder, even at Photo Alley until the internet imploded. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I had taken more personal risks. I, I love I love working on my own. I'm not sure. Uh, well, I know I wasn't at the time. I wasn't ready, and it was a it was a lack of confidence. Yeah. So that 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 issue about failing um, mm-hmm. really does come into having more confidence in yourself. Yeah. And that's that that's probably the you know in terms of the biggest regrets. Um, that that would be a main one of 
God, yeah. you know, and Sheila's got a great line of, of don't should on yourself, you know, because we all do it. We all <laughs> yeah. sit there and say, you know what I should have done and should right. you, don't, don't right. should on yourself. Yeah. So, yeah, Skip, I mean, you, you said it. It's, I think the toughest thing for people to really, in anything, uh, but especially in the professional world, is to gain that confidence. And, I, you know, I always like say this a lot and, and I honestly say it to like be a mantra to myself too because I'm just as guilty as anyone else is if you don't believe in yourself, why should anybody else? And and you you said it. So if if you don't have that confidence to take those risks and knowing better or worse, if it works or if it doesn't, you still have to try. Um, that and, and like you said, if you're lucky enough to have that rock in your life, oh man, then then that gives you the, the even more confidence and more power to go out there and take some swings. Yeah, I mean, if if you've got that that like you said, that rock, that sounding board, and and for me, it's it's definitely without question, it's it's Sheila. So many times, I mean, a good example. Last night, I was the MC at a fundraising dinner for the friendship centers here in Sarasota. There are 230, 240 people there. Most of them I don't know. Um, representing some of the most involved people in the Sarasota community involved in everything to do with aging. I do their blog with them and here I am the MC. And before I went on, I looked at Sheila and I said, I'm really nervous. Mm -hmm. And she's going, why? <laughs> I said, well, for one thing, they expect me to be a, a, at least a little bit funny. I'm supposed to be entertaining. I don't want to just introduce one person after another right. and say, thank you very much. So right. I've got to tie in somehow some stories. Mm -hmm. And it it is about having somebody that you can lean on. And, you know, like I said, I'm very fortunate. I've got, I've got a wife who's a partner in this stuff and I got some amazing good buddies out there that are uh, always good sounding boards. Nice, nice. So, well, like you said, it, it's definitely a a very, a very, a very fortunate thing to have, you know. And hopefully, everyone has has that for sure in their lives. So, another big one: if you couldn't share your work with anyone, would you still make stuff? So like I said, includes like writing and and some of the photography you do and stuff like that. Abs absolutely. And the reason, I mean, for me, it really is about it. Somehow, in my career now, I've morphed into. Um, a wannabe writer. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'm very proud of stuff that I write and sometimes I need a little help. Mm -hmm. And again, that's where Sheila becomes a, a sounding board. But yeah, and that and that's because um this is like this is like special projects that are so important to photographers. Yep. You, you need when you're writing something or when you're shooting something and you're just doing it for your a lot of times you're just doing it for your own satisfaction to see if you can do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm having a ball right now um, shooting with with mirrorless. And, nice. you know, I, I said to you before we started this, I am not a photographer, mm -hmm. but I know more than I let on. And I've been fortunate enough to be around some amazing people in my career. Mm -hmm. And when you're, when, when you're doing, working on something that's special to you, um, whether anybody was ever going to read it or not, I mean, sometimes writing is just, Therapeutic. Mm -hmm. I was about to say, um, I know, yeah, very therapeutic. Yeah. I mean, I know when my dad passed away last November, I remember mm -hmm. sitting down and and kind of writing a dear dad letter that that came out with with a lot of tears. But at the end, um, you have to believe that there's something else beyond just our existence, no matter what your religious beliefs are. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, when I was all done, I really felt like, all right, you know, dad wasn't here for me to read it to him or hand it over to him for him to read, but I know he heard what was in my heart and it does become therapeutic. So whether you're shooting, whether you're working on a special project, whether you're doing something that's just for you, or you're working on something with some friends that are important, um, I would do it. I would do it no matter what. If nobody was ever going to read a single thing that I ever wrote, I'd still be sitting there writing my thoughts and trying to express myself. Because mm-hmm. when the best thing, and you can see it as a photographer, when you go back to work that you did years ago, yeah. and you look at how differently you put together an image now, mm-hmm. not not the technology. I'm talking about the the composition more yeah. than anything else. You 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 can see where you've grown. It's just kind of a measurement. So yeah, I would I would be doing it no matter what. Nice. So Skip, well, I just want to say thank you so much for coming out and speaking with us today. Uh, like I said, as soon as I met you at WPPI, uh, and and also the company I met you with. So uh, Jaleel was the one who introduced us. Is a good friend of mine, and uh, and Jaleel is as you can probably attest to is one of those people that when he puts you in touch with someone, you know they're they're good people. Um, so thank you again for taking the time out and, uh, and sitting with us. So last two, uh, one, where can people check out your stuff and learn more about what, you know, you do? Well, mostly everything I write is on the blog at skipcohenuniversity.com, but mm-hmm. I'm also, <clears throat> excuse me, Skip Cohen on Facebook and Skip Cohen on Twitter. And that's mostly where I hang out. And I know that photographers today need to be thinking about all the outlets where they can be, but my target audience and, and well, my audience period, as well as my friends and all my resources are all photographers. Mm-hmm. So I tend to hang out where wherever they are. So I don't right. get very involved in uh, Pinterest, uh, Google Plus I started to, um, Instagram. I have an account. I have yet to really post anything. Uh, but it really winds up being Twitter and Facebook. Nice. Yeah. I, I always uh, tell people. Oh, and my, to be, oh sorry. Go yeah. ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. And my email address is just skip at mei500.com so if anybody's got any questions at any time i mean i love what you guys do i am a photographer groupie <laughs> and it doesn't matter if it's somebody that's taking their first step and shooting their very first wedding to somebody like you know mcnally who's climbing to the top of a tower in dubai i mean mm-hmm. it's the passion is what what we all share and yeah. that's kind of fun no for sure and one thing i was gonna say is that like a lot of people and and you can attest to this seeing photographers do it is that we all feel the need especially the last few years in social media to be on every single platform and a lot of times it's not the case you know like pick two or, or three that you really like that that kind of cater to the way you are and and, and just stick on them stick to those you know because because it's better to be really functional on a couple rather than spreading yourself out way too thin on every single platform yep so skip and last but not least who's someone that you would like to hear us talk to on the show oh god (laughs) um well i just mentioned mcnally he yeah i actually had spoken to him um at the pro photo party at wppi Uh, we're gonna have him on soon Joe is just unbelievable and very open and honest about everything Mm -hmm. uh tony corbell who is just, I mean, I won't deny for a second, he's one of my very best friends, but Tony's got so much experience starting out um, as a portrait photographer in out west somewhere. Uh, I don't know. Michelle Salentano is doing some amazing things, helping photographers remember to print their work and how to sell it and get people thinking about 
printed work um, as opposed to just handing somebody a jump drive. And, mm-hmm. and then I mentioned earlier, Brian Caparici, mm-hmm. who is Sprout Studio. So any, those are at least four. And if we sat here, I could probably come up with another 20. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, we always tell everyone, if you um, want to make some warm introductions, that would always help out a lot. Um, and also, if you ever in the future uh, think of any more, feel free to reach out to us. You know, we, we always love to, uh, to bring people together and, and, and hear about more people to talk to. Well, I, this has been a kick today. Thank you, Skip. I'm glad you uh, enjoyed. And, yeah, and I and I love every now and then when I shut up and give you a chance to get a word in. <laughs> um, like I said, you've got a you've got a re, you've got a great interview style, and it's nice when somebody interviewing is also making a contribution to the con- conversation, not mm-hmm. just going through a list of uh, questions. So, yeah, Jose, you got my help on anything. Awesome, Skip. Thank you. I appreciate cool. it so much. Well, uh, listen. Thank you again for taking the time out today, and uh, I'm sure we'll cross paths again soon. You got it. And that invitation is open if you get down to Sarasota. Well do. Or as close as Tampa. That works too. Sweet. Well do. All right. All Take right, care. Good you. to talk to you. Take care. Bye-bye. So guys, if you're curious about using borrow lenses, you'll be happy to know all of their gear is tested, calibrated, reset, and cleaned after every order. They accept major credit card and most debit cards, and the majority of orders they process do not require a deposit. They love it when their gear gets to travel worldwide, but you have to promise to share some photos when you get back. Remember to visit borrowlenses.com and enter AM10 to redeem your exclusive 10% Angry Millennial discount.